You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. That defense mode. We're survivors. Like... But they're probably not the questions that you want answered. So, yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our chemo brain. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia, and I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today, we have Timothy, a young adult acute lymphoblastic leukemia survivor, also known as ALL, who will be sharing with us a little about his story and how his diagnosis shaped his life. LLS's introduction to Timothy is an interesting one. Lizette, how did you meet Timothy? So I was actually down in Phoenix in July. So yes, it was hot. Uh, and I was partaking in uh, the non-conference. So that's National Association of Hispanic Nurses. And I actually met um, one of your friends, Timothy. Um, yeah, Angel, right? Yeah. So he actually came up to our table because the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society um, had a table and said, you know, one of my colleagues in school um, has leukemia and you know, he's studying to be a nurse just like me. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. And he told me that, you know, you would probably love to, you know, partake in our activities since you had leukemia. Then I asked him, of course, what kind of leukemia? And he didn't know. So he texted you. And thank you for texting back so quickly. <laughs> Anything for my, my buddy, Angel. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said you had ALL. So I thought that was very interesting, and I'm so happy that we were able to connect in that way and that you're so um, happy uh, to really join us and uh, really, you know, partake in, in telling your story and partake in sharing your cancer journey with us. And I know today you actually met your local chapter. Yeah, in New York City. Yeah. With Gunjin? That's great. Yep. And I know oh. that you'll probably uh, do some activities there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to working with her. And um, she told me about the opportunities that I can be a part of. Um, one of them was I could call and talk with other patients affected with cancer um, throughout the whole country and just share my story with them and just hear them out and you know be a, like a support person to them. So... I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's great. That's our peer-to-peer program. And, yeah. yeah, it's really important because a lot of people are diagnosed and they kind of feel alone. They feel like, you know, I, I know nobody else with leukemia. You know, what should I do? What should I ask? 
and they feel like they have no one to talk to. So this peer-to-peer program really allows you to really talk to somebody that's newly diagnosed and, and let them know what you went through and give them tips, tips that they wouldn't have if they didn't talk to somebody else who actually went through it. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. So, Timothy, about your diagnosis, can you share kind of what was going on at that time and and thoughts, you know, prior to diagnosis and after being di- um, diagnosed with ALL? Okay. So this was back in 2012. I was a sophomore in high school, um, just 15 years old. And, you know, I was just a hooligan in high school. I was a – I didn't <laughs> study that hard. I didn't take school that seriously. And all of a sudden, I started to feel different. I felt very tired all the time. My lower back and my legs were in pain constantly. And I was just short of breath whenever I did just a little bit of exercise. So that's when I went to the doctors, and that's when I went to a blood cancer clinic in Manhattan called Hassenfeld Clinic. And I went with my parents, and they told us that day what I was diagnosed with. And that was acute lymphoblast. I can't say it. Acute lympho <laughs> ALL, anyways. Um, it's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. Yeah. My, my parents were, you know, notified first by the doctors, and then they brought me in to tell me. And um, when I went in the room, I saw my parents crying. So I knew right away that that was bad news. And once the doctors told me that I had AOL, I honestly didn't even feel scared or sad because I didn't know what leukemia was at that age. So that was the first time hearing about it, and they gave me a brief summary about what it was. And once I heard cancer, that's when I actually got scared and um, realized that I might die from this. But, you know, he told me there was an 80% survival rate for ALL, so, which was pretty high. But all that was going on in my mind was the 20%, yeah. the 20% that you couldn't survive. So we went straight to the hospital from there and started the treatment. In regards to getting a second opinion, was that something that your family had discussed with the doctor or maybe among yourselves after doing research, or were you comfortable and kind of confident in the decision of your doctor to move forward with treatment? We were all very confident in our doctor's decisions because we we aren't that very, you know, knowledgeable about the scientific world and the healthcare field, so we just did whatever the doctors recommended and hope hope that they were making the right decisions for us. What did your parents tell you about how they were feeling or did they tell you how they were feeling? So my parents are from Korea. They're immigrants and you know, be like growing up in Korea they have a different culture there and I feel that parents don't really share their weaknesses and their emotions to their children. My parents did not tell me how they felt. They kind of held everything inside, and I could just tell by their expressions and their their facial, you know, expressions. Like, that's what I used to tell how they felt, not from their own voices and their mouths. Did you share with them how you felt or how you were feeling? No. <laughs> I also no. didn't share how I felt. 
it's not that we don't like to. We're just not comfortable doing it. We we would like to, but we're just not used to it. Now, was it an issue of sharing it with their son or just sharing it, period? Or did, did they seek support services outside or across the board sharing their emotions is difficult? It was difficult in general just to anybody. They didn't even look for any support groups or any of that, anybody to speak with about their situation. They just kept everything to themselves, which is pretty hard in my opinion. I don't think that's the right decision to make. You should reach out for support, in my opinion. Well, who did you share with then? Well, I had a girlfriend at that time. She's the only one I shared it with from school. So I didn't share it with any of my friends, even though they asked me, like, where I went, because I went missing for, like, a year. I got homeschooled. All my friends asked me where I was, but I just told them, you know, it's, like, I'm home. Don't worry about it. I just kind of brushed it off. So I only told my girlfriend, and she's the only one who knew about it besides my family. That's the one person from school who I kept in touch with throughout that year, throughout the treatment. Do you think, you know, culture does have a huge a huge impact on someone's diagnosis and the way that they handle, you know, their their treatment and their um, their diagnosis? Culture, in my opinion, definitely affects how the pa- how the parents um, feel about the diagnosis, how severe it is, because um, my parents in Korea, you know, they didn't have the technology um, we have in America. So when once my parents hear about leukemia, they just automatically think that there is no cure for that. You will die in a, in a matter of time, like in a year or so. It's like hopelessness. You know, they feel they feel hopelessness once they hear leukemia. But that's because they grew up in Korea and everyone they heard of getting leukemia in Korea died because they didn't have the treatment they have in America. So that's what I think culture has in effect. You mentioned going missing. When you were away and you kind of withdrew and you were being homeschooled, so how did you try to balance your, you know, your new normal um, having been diagnosed? So I made new friends. My new friends were my caretakers in the hospitals and my clinic. See, I saw my, my nurses and my doctors as friends because um, you know, they, they were the ones who I spoke to and had conversations with daily. And, you know, we just had laughs. We just shared our stories and all that. So they're my new friends. And with school, you know, homeschooling was actually – pretty nice you know you have to stay home the teachers come (laughs) to your house and they're very lenient with you because they know what you have so if you miss a homework or anything you know they just let it let it go so i kind of miss a lot of homeworks not purposefully (laughs) (laughs) i actually wasn't feeling well enough to do them but it was pretty nice to be honest well obviously you did well because right now aren't you in nursing school uh, yeah, I am at NYU right now for nursing, <laughs> and I'm loving it right now. <laughs> from hooligan to nursing. Look at that. From, yes, hooligan <laughs> from high school. <laughs> Earlier, you were saying that your parents didn't know where to go, your family didn't know where to go, and Lizette mentioned 
the Peter Pair, did you think about connecting with others who may have been in a similar situation? Or did you really feel as if there were no support resources available? I never actually thought about um, reaching out for a support group. I would say I'm kind of a introverted person. I don't really like to go out and meet new people uh, unless somebody comes to me first. So unfortunately, I didn't get to meet any support groups. So what makes it different now that you are um, looking to be a part of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's offerings? My eyes have been open to all the um, resources that are available for these patients, and they can just find somebody in their similar situations, like someone around their age with the same disease. And I feel that if you can speak with somebody going through the same thing you are, that would definitely help you and make you feel better. And also resources that can educate you more about your disease, because like I said, when I was, I was just 15 and I didn't know anything about leukemia, so I just did whatever the doctors told me to. But I feel that, you know, I would like to have a say in my treatment if I knew, like, more about my disease. I feel that if patients get educated on their diseases, then they will be able to look for other treatments, maybe, like, new clinical trials and, you know, look for the best treatment, not just following what their doctors um, tell them to do. I think right. if you know about LS, that's a very good plus, very good bonus. Yeah, yeah we're definitely trying to reach people um, close to when they do get diagnosed so we can be there for people throughout their whole cancer journey. Yeah, that would be great. And I think, like you said, like both, both Lizette and yourself, uh, finding other people who are in similar situations is such a plus. Um, have you ever heard of an organization called Stupid Cancer? Stupid Cancer? Yeah. <laughs> no, I never heard of that. Okay. Well, the founder, Matthew Zachary, he is a national advocate for adolescent and young adults, also known as AYA, cancer patients. And he, so he said that he went seven years. Uh, without knowing anyone or, or having a peer that he could relate to. And his answer to this lack of support was to start an online community called Stupid Cancer. And it, and it is geared toward young adults as well. So it, I think it's so important to, you know, find the places and find the resources that you can tap into because being diagnosed is not an easy thing. And I think LLS, you know, that's why it's top of mind to always make sure that we're providing what we can to patients and caregivers so they don't, they don't have to go through it alone, especially initially when the shock is there. Yeah. For me, it was five years without having any support groups. So kind of in a similar situation as him. And we've also spoken with another young adult that was diagnosed early um, with lymphoma. And she said that she felt like she put her life on pause because – you know, she had all these plans, and then all of a sudden she was diagnosed and she needed treatment. So she couldn't go along with those plans just at that time. Did you feel that way too? For me, it wasn't really a pause in life. It was a turning point. It was a complete, like, turning point for me because it made me realize and learn a lot about how valuable each day is in life. So... Like I was wasting my life away in high school, my first year or two, year and a half, because of this event, 
I I tried harder in school and I actually had a goal in life. I just wanted to do better in life and have an impact. So for me, it wasn't a pause. It was a learning point, a turning point, and that's why I'm in nursing school because I want to help others in the future. And is that what really made you want to go to nursing school? Definitely. Or did you? Yeah. Yeah, in high in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to be in the future. Okay. You know, maybe a a cop, a police officer, but no, I'm not fit for that. So I I met a few nurses during my treatment who were very memorable. Um, one of them, her name is Fraka, and she was my nurse in NYU Langone. I was in the hospital for like two weeks straight, never, you know, was able to go out. And the only thing in mind was to take a breath of fresh air. That was like my, my dream. Like I really wanted that. That was the only craving I had just to go outside and, you know, breathe the air. Not the hospital air conditioning, because you get tired of that. <laughs> and um, so I requested that to my nurse, Braca, and she asked, I guess, the doctors and everybody if she, you know, if they could do anything for me to go outside. And they actually were able to allow her to take me downstairs to the garden area in NYU, Langone, and we walked around for about. 15, 20 minutes just talking about whatever through a garden with like grass and trees and flowers and I was just, I was so touched. And so I've been touched by many nurses like that, like her, and that's why I wanted to also be a nurse to, you know, be there for the patients side by side and just, you know, make their dreams come true and at their hardest times and, you know, be there for them. That's inspiring. Being in nursing school and having experienced what you experienced, do you think that it's made nursing school easier, being able to relate to a lot of the terms? Yeah, I feel that going through nursing school with this diagnosis definitely pushes me harder and harder to, you know, get through get through school and all those exams and, you know, reach my goal because at the end, I just, I just want to help other patients with the same disease that I had or similar um, diseases and my diagnosis definitely had an effect. In nursing school, they stress a lot about patient relationships and communicating with patients and patient-focused care. So, I was better able to relate with the patient-focused care because as a patient myself, I really, like, I really enjoyed being the center of attention by all the nurses and, um, <laughs> you know, it felt that I was getting the attention, the care that I, that I, um, needed during the hardships and I feel that I'm better able to relate with the patients and to show compassion for them because I was once in their shoes. Yeah, usually you hear about nurses and, um, you know, giving, taking blood or um, (laughs) doing doing something else that's physical. But a lot of nurses at the conference that I went to, it was really highlighted that it's the support 
that you're giving the patient as well as all of the other medical um, things that you have to do, but really that support makes nurses so special. Yeah, I agree. It's not just like the drugs they inject you with and the pills they make you swallow, but it's like the emotional support they give you by just um, talking to you and stopping by to see if you're okay and showing that they actually care. So I think that helps a lot. And we know that you'll have a Light the Night team this year, probably, right? With all of yep. your uh, colleagues there at nursing school. I will invite, yeah, I will invite my whole cohort. <laughs> That's awesome. I will try to get all 300 of them out to the nightlight. Walk. That's great. That would be amazing. Team Tim. And what do you think you learned throughout your journey? I know that you were diagnosed early, uh, 15, five years ago, and you did say it changed your life. What was the biggest thing that you've learned, and what would you tell others uh, that were just diagnosed? The biggest thing I learned through my treatment and my my experience is that just medicine and, you know, drugs, science can't be the only cure to your sickness or your disease. You have to have emotional support. You have to have happiness and positivity to help you get through everything and to get, like, help your path towards cureness and 100% well-being. So I felt that being positive throughout the three years of treatment, I was able to distract myself from what I was going through all that treatment, chemotherapy that made me feel disgusting. I just tried to stay happy and think about the positive positive stuff in life, like having family and every day. I was thankful for every little thing in life. So you'd let the kids know that there is happiness in the world, even though they're going through such a tough time. Definitely. Every... Every day that you, you're able to wake up and see your family, see yourself in the mirror and know that you're alive still means that there is hope that you can get cured and live a normal life right after that and then pursue your dreams and live even bigger. That's what I think. And that's what you're doing. I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> you're making your mark. Did your doctor talk to you at all, not only about fertility, but at all about kind of planning for the future, being diagnosed so young? They told me to never smoke. <laughs> okay. And live a healthy life, That's you know. Advice. Just like just like any other ordinary person, you know, just exercise and don't smoke, eat healthy. But nothing specifically unique. They treat me as a normal person now. Did they tell you about possible long-term and late effects um, that they would have to monitor you for more carefully, something that might um, come about 5, 10, 15 years after treatment? Oh, I heard from the beginning that once you're cured for about five years, once you're in remission for five years, you don't have to worry about relapse or anything like that. So I haven't hit my five-year mark yet. I've been normal for two years, so I still have a long way to go. But 
they they always tell me to not worry about it. The chances are very low, and yet they just tell me not to worry about anything. Do you worry about anything? Nope. I'm just praying that <laughs> uh, it'll never happen again. Right. Just really hopeful. It's great. Yeah. You have a great positive attitude, which is great. I think it really does help during treatment um, to have a positive attitude. Just be thankful for like the chemotherapy drugs that are going inside of your body, even though it's making you feel like poop. Just be thankful <laughs> for every little thing. Be thankful for the needle that's going inside of your body, even though it hurts, because it's helping. If you saw me in the past while I was getting treated, I would look the same as how I look right now. I'm just always like this. That's awesome. I don't, You're a person. I don't, yeah, I don't really <laughs> yeah. show sadness or anything like that. I cried Amazing. once. You cried once in your life? Or no, once no, during treatment? Once during treatment. Once during okay. Treatment. <laughs> wow. Was that from pain? Like no. physical pain? No, no. Just thinking about everything? It was, I actually got appendicitis during treatment, too. During that day, my mom was crying so much because I had cancer and appendicitis at the same time. And that's when I cried. Oh. Yeah. I was just like, oh, goodness, my life. <laughs> And then when you're that young, you don't know what it yeah, means and you don't know it. Yeah, I don't know anything. I don't really know what appendicitis yeah. is or leukemia. You have a very interesting spin on it. And a lot. Of, I think, like you said, that's very, very important because once you hear cancer, again, there's that shock. And then once you go over treatment with your doctor or your healthcare team, you're automatically thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to feel? How is this going to affect my life? What do I have to stop? I mean, you automatically think that way. And I think that you've done a really great job in encouraging not only yourself, but I'm sure your family, your parents saw that, you know, you were very positive and saw that you were you were hopeful and that, that changed not only you, but your environment. Yeah, I never really complained about anything. I feel that if you're going through this hardship right now, What's the whole point of being more negative and making it even harder for yourself and for the people around you? Just, you know, you're going through a hard thing right now. Everybody knows that you are. So just try to stay positive and make the best of it as you can and hope that you'll get through it. You returned to high school. So did you ever tell your high school friends what had happened during that year? During treatment, I got, I ate a lot of steroids, right? Prednisone for my treatment. And that boosted up my appetite, and I gained about 20, 30 pounds. I don't know. I just got really fat. And when I came back to high school, everybody was surprised about how how much weight I gained. Um, I didn't really tell them that I had cancer, but, you know, I just told some of my closest friends, and maybe they told other people. But sooner or later, they stopped bugging me about my weight and how I looked. I wasn't really bullied bullied they were just joking around like that I gained a lot of weight but it was kind of embarrassing for me to go back to school looking like how it looked before Mm -hmm. at the time and then after you stopped the steroid I lost the weight instantly very fast it's one of the more um, common side effects with the steroid so having now like you said, you're two years out having, you know, experienced what you experienced and it being a scary time uh, for you and your family, but also a hopeful time. Has this changed them in any way, having gone through what you guys have gone through? They have definitely gotten closer to me and 
they're more, you know, warm with me and we have a stronger relationship because of what we went through together. We're definitely a lot closer. We share what we do every day, every day together to, to each other and we're like friends now and we can never forget what we went through. Seeing as to how you didn't have the support at the time of diagnosis, what more do you think organizations can do to help young adults when they're diagnosed? So I think that organizations reach out, you know, mostly to big hospitals um, such as NYU Langone, um, Mount Sinai, the main hospitals, but they don't really reach out to the small clinics, the outpatient clinics, and that's why I feel that I was never reached out. Thank you, Tim, for for sharing your story with us and for letting people know that you can make it through and you can really excel. Going from a high school student that didn't know what he wanted to be to going through treatment and really valuing what your treatment team did for you and then actually getting into the nursing school of where you actually were treated. That's excellent. Yep, yep. Um, NYU is deep within my heart. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you're a part of NYU now. And we are so happy to hear that you connected with our local chapter during your journey. We encourage you to stay connected so that they can help you and be a point of reference for any questions that you have or any resources that you're looking for. We wish you the best in life and we hope to hear amazing things about what you're doing, about school, about everything that goes on. So thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time. <laughs>